You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 362, political division across the breakfast table. Don't dine out with Sarah Sanders, you might go hungry. And live longer, find religion. It's all coming up after The Cure and Friday I'm in Love. Twenty-three top 40 singles for the band over here in the UK and a hit all around the world in 1992. Immediately became my favourite track of theirs, remains so ever since, The Cure 
and Friday I'm in love. That is lovely. I am mm. such a fan. I mean, the Cure are one of those things. They've been a bit of a quiet taste to me over the years. Mm. I always loved Love Cats when mm. I was younger. I remember watching it on Top of the Pops 2 when I was a teenager and thinking it was amazing. And gradually, as time goes on, I've found more and more of the Cure that I really like. And I was driving home the other day and listening to Six Music in my car and Just Like Heaven came on. Mm. And I've never really listened to that in, in huge amounts of detail. And I just thought it was fantastic. I'm not a great fan of their individual albums, but give me their greatest hits, and I oh, could yeah, play that every day of, yes. of my life, you know. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 362. I'm Terence Stackham, and well, this is going to be one of the worst ones ever, Jules, so uh, be ready for this. <sighs> <laughs> we don't only love her on Fridays, we love her every day. Aww. It's Juliet Harris. I do like your, your continued <laughs> sweetness. It reminds me of my mum writing me little notes in my lunchbox when mm. I found it hard to start school when I was little. So I do appreciate it. Thank uh, you. That's kind of how I see these introductions. L- little <laughs> notes in the lunchbox of life for Juliet. <laughs> is this our new, um, is this our new, um, <laughs> our new strap line for the podcast? <laughs> little notes in the lunchbox of life. I do really like that, actually. I think it's got, there's something there, I think. <laughs> now, is it possible to maintain a relationship with a partner if they hold very different views to you mm. on subjects that are close to your heart earlier this week someone on on twitter asked rosina allen calm the labor mp for tooting how she reconciled her resolute and determined campaigning for the environment she's very much against the expansion of heathrow airport in london Mm. how this is all reconciled by the fact that she's married to an executive who works for Shell Oil. And Shell has something of a history for opposing, for example, regulation of greenhouse gas emissions and being involved in controversial environmental issues. Well, the response was Miss Alan Khan immediately blocked the person asking her the question. And this was then picked up by uh, Jamie East, the broadcaster, and Rob Fitzpatrick, the journalist, who both broadened the question out and repeated it to Miss Alan Khan, whose response again was to block everyone who asked her about her views and her husband working for Shell. So where do do you stand on this, Jules? Is it nobody's business to whom this Labour MP is married, even if his work conflicts with hers? Or is it her attempt at blocking and being secretive, just hiding a huge global emission of hypocrisy? global emission of hypocrisy you're on fire this week or hopefully not producing any greenhouse gases whilst being on fire um no it's 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 such a tricky one isn't it there's so much to unpack on this in that for most people in the public eye you would say you are entitled to a private life as are politicians as is dr dr alan calm but having said that the difficulty is that when you are, your public position is is political, and therefore you it is your job to have views, isn't it? Really, or at least to represent voter views. And of course, to her, I think one of her reasons why she is anti third one way is because of where she is an MP, so tooting. So lots of those those London MPs around, you know, South South West London, are, you know, John McDonnell as well, mm. you know, all all of those MPs, Justin Greening, they all they are all, you know, the, the closer you get, the more likely they are to oppose because that's what their constituents want. So I so I do get 
why she's why she sort of adopted that position there's no reason why she shouldn't adopt that position i don't think and have a husband that does other things it is difficult i think to sometimes we can't always help who we fall in love with and sometimes you know we we fall in love often we meet people that we like because they have our views and sometimes we meet people who despite ourselves we find ourselves liking because they because there is something about them that we like and people are more than just one view aren't they everyone is a is a kind of a I don't want to say a mixtape really because but mm. I'm just tired and that's where I've gone with it but yeah, and, and, you know and every, and, you know we're all kind of compilations of views aren't we really we're all mm. you know that's what makes us all interesting that no one person has exactly the same lineup of views and indeed that's where both major political parties are in, encountering such trouble at the moment I think in British politics because they themselves the parties contain such wild such wildly divergent views I mean people like Helen Lewis writing in the New Statesman today saying that Brexit has has poisoned the well of British politics. And she wrote a very good piece in the New States and trying to work out what exactly what exact poison Brexit was and in the end she went with arsenic on the basis that it makes you irritable and a bit nauseous for a little while and then gradually by the time you've worked out what's wrong with you it has in fact killed you so which I thought was quite a good <laughs> comparison but so that therefore makes it a bit strange that Rosina Allen Khan went on this kind of blocking spree like you said and was and was defensive about it and perhaps by being defensive made the problem worse than by just saying look you know yeah it's it's tricky but you know this is my view on this issue and and you know it might not have been that convincing but at least you would have put up a put up a kind of a fight mm. but having said that given the absolute filth that most women have that quite a lot of high profile women have to put up with on twitter and particularly high profile political women mm. the stuff that people like luciana berger the um the uh, a jewish mp up in liverpool mm. or uh stella creasy the, the the female mp in, in walthamstow um both of whom have views that you would say are more centrist or are, you know, sort of more progressy. So they have to put up with a lot of abuse from their own side, somewhat unbelievably, let alone other people that are meant to be opposed to them. And I can understand why. And I, I don't know about Dr. Alan Khan, but, but I suspect that she has faced abuse previously because you know she is a shadow minister but i think you know she, she's obviously at the moment the labor party is experiencing this strange year zero where you know if you were bc i.e before before corbyn 2015 mm. then then you know it's almost like i said something other day. why are we in an episode of logan's run all the time at the mm. moment if you're in the labor party you know we were we are too old for the labor party in our 30s because we happen to be around pre-2015 and and so i can understand if she has got abuse on that basis i can understand mm. i don't think it looks very good but it's very interesting and i and, and i know and like most of the people that have, that have raised questions with her on twitter but it's very interesting that all the voices that you've mentioned so far of tweeters questioning her are all are all white men mm. in in a certain position of privilege and she is of course a, a mixed race woman who grew up in tooting and and you know was born and bred in tooting and is as a genuine local mp in a way that lots of people aren't was still working as an a and she still does a and e shifts occasionally apparently because she was an a and e doctor and i cannot it doesn't look great but i can understand if you're in her position and it, it is quite a vulnerable position to be a young woman in politics that might not necessarily always be you know swimming in the same tide as your own political party i can see why she might get a bit defensive and you know if it's someone that you love if you love your husband and your family life is kind of sacrosanct and being an mp is 
stressful on having family life anyway frankly even if you are a london mp which means that you have it easier i think than mps in the north or scotland or in other parts of the country that have to you know have two lives their constituency life and their london life you know it must be pretty wearing and to to have to to feel like you have to constantly defend your family life all the time i you know i don't think it looked good and it wasn't necessarily what i would have done mm. but having said that yes you know the the shell thing is 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 you know bad for the environment obviously and so it is a bit hypocritical but having said that she is doing her job as a local mp who has a constituency near heathrow mm. Well, the aspect, though, of the unlikely nature of partnerships, being married to or, or, or being in a relationship with someone who has very different views to yourself, or whose job puts you in opposition to them, it must make for some interesting, curious conversations over breakfast, I was thinking. The Guardian's Amelia Gentleman has worked for years reporting on government mm. policy and its impact, and recently she's she's won awards for her work on exposing the Windrush scandal. Which... Yeah, she won the Orwell Prize, I think, yes. and, and deservedly so as well, mm. I think. And that led, um, as we know, that uncovering of the Windrush scandal, it led to the resignation of the conserv- then-Conservative Home Secretary Amber Rudd, to which mm. you know, anyone may say, well, that's all very well, but what am I getting at? The point is, it's just that Amelia Gentleman, who... Um, has just helped oust the Home Secretary, is married to Joe Johnson, a minister in Theresa May's government and a cabinet colleague of Amber Rudd. And I can only think they must either be very circumspect at home about what they're working on, or they must have the most, must have the most incredible degree of trust in each other. And I, I was imagining the conversation over breakfast. Now, what are you doing uh, today? Oh, oh I'm, I'm voting to build new roads all around the country. How about you well i'm writing a piece expressing um uh, in fact i'm exposing the scandal of the government building new roads all around the country (laughs) it must be very confusing over the toast um well it's it's, it's interesting and i think in a way that question i think it shows and i'm not getting at you for this but Mm. i think it shows the weirdness that is going on in our political system at the moment that Amelia, the, the Guardian, so lots of the criticism from the sort of hard left of the mm. Labour Party, or I think as it's now at the moment, the mainstream of the Labour Party, mm. um, have, have got, you know, they there are lots of people that constantly go on at the Guardian as being part of the MSM, the mainstream media, and the Guardian are no, the Guardian are no better than anybody else. If, to, if anything, they're worse than anybody else because mm. they're pretending to be left-wing when they're secretly not, etc., etc. And I should think that for a lot of the, those people pre-Windrush, they would have lumped Amelia Gentleman into that as well, because she's done some and reporting at the Guardian for years, like you say, and it's her that's re- her and um, Patrick Butler, I think, who's the um, the sort of social affairs editor, who I spoke to on the Guardian telephone once. And he was very nice indeed. Um, they they've done a lot to break news stories on austerity. They really have done loads of reporting around DWP and you know the, the some of the shocking stuff that's happening around cuts around there, and so. But having said that, I mean, so sorry. There's it's like layers of an onion. This so so weirdly, you know, her reporting about you know austerity and about the sort of the, the you know the, some of the, mm. the the awful situations it's thrown up. I think that the austerity is the sort of agenda of this government has been so extreme, particularly what it's funny. People criticise the you know the 2015 conservative post 2015 governments, the conservative mm. governments that we've had as being you know all you know they didn't have the moderating you know influence of the Lib Dems that they did between 2010 and 2015. And my sort of argument back to this is. No, they don't. Having said that, though, 
the auster- the, you know the austerity that we're seeing now the effects of austerity that we're seeing the, the the you know the the breaking down frankly of public services it almost feels like the early 90s again where everything is so threadbare you only have to go into hospital you only have to have kids in a school you know you, you you're just living an ordinary life you see the impact that it's having that isn't 18 months worth of austerity that isn't two years worth of government policy this is you know seven years of government policy that is that is really you know exposing exposing how bad things are now just as we're about to try and leave the european union which is going to be a huge economic shock even more so if they can't sort a deal out which increasingly it's looking like they won't and so in a way it's you don't have to be very radical to be anti this government particularly i don't think because it is it is as plain as broad daylight now at the moment now i feel about sort of how damaging austerity is and it's like you know it's like this tory government running out of puff in the same way as you know the john major government rang out of puff it wasn't necessarily anything that they did very much although you know the, the occasionally i will read the tory back to pay six wikipedia page because it really does cheer me up <laughs> i think i've mentioned it before on this yeah. podcast on the basis that if you get if you're seven so it had in bullet points of various people had to resign and why and you think they would do it in order of severity which they seem to be doing but seven points down you come across the environment minister that got that got basically had to resign for chasing some motorway anti-motorway protesters with an axe oh, and it's God. like if you're seven points in before you mention that one of your ministers has chased after people with an axe obviously it's not going very well so so i think that partly and in and, and again joe john Johnson is is on the he was a Cameroon he was running the policy unit when David Cameron the so-called you know moderate Tory prime minister was in charge so in a way you could argue that actually traditionally I probably would have put a media gentleman you know I hate using this term Blairite because it's become this kind of insult but the Guardian has been not really pro Corbyn from the beginning apart from a few commentators and the Guardian is I suppose what we would call centre left and in a way if if you know if if Joe Johnson is centre or or maybe centre right maybe they're not they're both not coming from such different places it's just we're in an era of such polarised politics where it really is red versus blue leavers versus remainers we live in we live in you know old versus young We, we live in an era where everything is dressed up as this kind of you know open closed type type conflict that maybe it seems even more peculiar in this age than perhaps it might have done in the past i mean if you put it alternatively mainstream politician is going out with is, is married to broadsheet journalist i mean that 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 makes some sort of sense and there, there are other couples like um you know patrick but um bloke, the patrick winter the bloke that used to be the, the political editor for the guard for the guardian it's always rumored probably would have been david miliband's chief of staff when he had become labor leader is married to rachel sylvester from the times oh. but you would say that you know they are both you know you put them in, in fairly fairly centrist positions you know you, you another example is um john woodcock mp the um sort of blairite and i think he does use the term right then certainly the progress mp that's currently sitting as an independent MP in Barrow because there is an investigation um, but he is a Labour MP elected as a Labour MP is going is in a relationship with um, Isabel Harbin from the oh, Spectator. Good Lord. So, oh, word, so, yeah. you know, so, so it's, you know, it, mm, it, I see what you mean. It's the circles that you mix in. If mm. you are, a, you know, an MP that's in and out of Westminster all the time and there are, you know, lobby journalists in and out of Westminster, in that sense, it kind of makes it sense. And maybe 
it's okay to have different views if you're both of the political world and you and you, and you both accept that being of the political world or you're of the old-fashioned political world where it is okay to have a debate rather than to just scream at people and call them communist trots or red tories or or you know depending on what you want to do maybe actually it makes you more naturally inclined towards going out with someone that's slightly different from you i, I was at you know, a law college with a girl who stood for the lib dems in 2010 and she went out with a bloke who was a Tory, I think, essentially, although I think he was a sort of, a, you know, he was, he was a Cameroonian type Tory. And I used to say to her, how can you do it? How can you go out with him? And she said, I really like having debates. We have really good debates. Mm. It's really stimulating. And so maybe that's it. Maybe that's how they, they reach that place. And maybe our, the you know, this odd kaleidoscope that we're viewing politics through at the moment where everything is so divided and such a mess and feels impossible to reconcile maybe we find that strange than we otherwise would that's very interesting nonetheless though, i can't really see diane abbott getting into a relationship with nigel farage but you know well, no, I, think, I, think, I think there are limits and i think the point <laughs> that i'm trying to make is that you know we're acting as if that i mean there is no center in politics at the moment it feels like and most of these people that i've just mentioned in those relationships i would say are of the center they might be in slightly different bits of the centre but they are you know they are of the centre and actually they probably all have fairly similar-ish sort of views so so actually you know I, I, I think that it's it's not necessarily an odd thing because actually I don't think you're probably moving that far between any of them really whereas yeah like you say I, I can't I can't really see John McDonald and Esther McVeigh getting together no. anytime soon you can't come in Sarah Sanders, the Red Hen restaurant in Virginia and what it's like to be turned away. Uh, That's next after a new track from Teleman.
I love the rumbling bass on this. It's um, it's 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 really compelling. I heard it again. I'm hearing so much new music at the moment. Having you know, got a new car. Have I mentioned I've got a new car? With have. Digital radio in it. Yes, as we did it as a topic the other week. Yes, yes. Um, with a digital radio. I will stop soon. With a digital radio in it, and so I listen to lots of six music. And six music never used to have a playlist, and now it does, which is a bit of a pity in that you do end up hearing the same songs over and over again. It, particularly if, like me, you're driving during prime time, so you drive during breakfast and you come home during sort of the drive time show. But having said that, I've heard that frequently, and I just really like it. There's just something about it that I find really compelling. Um, the the band is called Telemann, and the song is called Cactus. Yeah, it's new to me, and uh, I I love it. I love the synth on that and the bass lines, as you say, and uh, lovely vocals as well. Really, really well put together track. It's a piece, isn't it? Really. Mm-hmm. I can think of only one time when I had to walk away rather shamefaced after being denied entry to somewhere. It was some years ago now. Um, One of my friends was working in management for the Average White Band, and he asked me if I'd like to be on the guest list for a a gig they had in London. And so I said yes, and I I kind of showed off a bit to my girlfriend at the time. I said, oh, you know, do you want to come and see the Average White Band with me? I'm I'm on the guest list. (laughs) You know, I I know the management. (laughs) And, of course, you know what's what's coming. Indeed, I got my comeuppance because we turned up at the Rainbow Theatre. You know, oh, hello, I'm on the guest list and guess what my name you wasn't weren't. on the oh, guest list no. no how embarrassing it really was the gig was sold out so we couldn't even buy tickets oh, so no. yeah we had to turn around and come home again and me with my ego somewhat deflated so <laughs> all of which leads us to the white house press secretary sarah sanders who last saturday was turned away from the red hen restaurant in lexington virginia solely and only because she works for president trump now Miss Sanders had actually been served, but the owner then approached her and asked her to step outside and then asked her if she would mind leaving. Now, you or I might leave a rather snarky review on TripAdvisor, but Sarah Sanders has got loads and loads and loads of uh, Twitter followers, so by tweeting about it... It generated a worldwide reaction. And Mm. this was the second incident, by the way, in a week involving Trump people being bumped out of restaurants. A few days before that, some White House advisers were heckled out of a Mexican restaurant in Washington. Uh, Where do you stand on this, George? Let's look at it this way. If you were DJing at the Dragon Bar in Hastings, would you bar entry to Sarah Sanders if she turned up to hear your magical mix of tunes? Well, that again, that is as ever too kind. This seems an unlikely scenario, oh. but um, but you know, in in the oh. in the, the case that it does, well, first it wouldn't be my position as a DJ, but but then this is the point I'm going to make. Oh. I think it's very entertaining that the Trump administration, of course, Trump is famous as a businessman, whether or not you mm. think he's a successful businessman, this is what he's famous for being. And the whole point of business mm. is that it is your business, it is your enterprise, and that um, uh, that that lovely phrase that you sometimes see on nightclub posters, ROAR, which stands for Right of Admission uh, Reserved, oh. which basically means it is the person in charge of the venue who decides who, the, who they're mm. wanting there or not, because if you're running a business, ultimately... You can decide who you want your customers to be. It is your it is your choice as a as a business person, which is why it's quite entertaining that you know Trump, who's meant to be this kind of you know 
uh, ruthless business person who makes decisions about what he likes and what he doesn't and if a branch of his business isn't you know business people if a branch of their business isn't working banks for example if they've got branches that aren't working in village areas they just close them and you know mm. forget anybody that might actually want to use their business because ultimately they're driven by profits but they it's up to them to make the decisions as to what you know what what will make their business profitable and how they want their business to be and it was entirely you know the decision of the person running this restaurant as to who they wanted in there or not and i'm gonna say it again you know i'm sure when the revolution happens i'll be one of the first against the wall because i always say this on the podcast but i do feel that the trump administration is really starting to tip into very dangerous fascist type waters and i'm not just saying that because i don't agree with him there's been there's loads of really good twitter threads and writing online amy suskind um does this book this it started off as a twitter thing called the list where she worked on the basis that they say that that if you think you might be living in a sort of a fascist type regime or if it's going that way that you should make a list each week of anything that very subtly changes in government you know in governance mm. or authority and you know it's now a book basically because so much is going on and um and so so in a way you know i I do think that we are living in really important times where we are starting to approach things where you do have to stand up and say, I do not agree with this. The Trump administration has now reached the point where they are locking up children and toddlers in cages um, in order to deport them. That is not normal. That is not ordinary government policy. That's no one's fault but theirs. And it is appalling. And it gets to the point where, when, you know, the government is doing things that are so dreadful and so immoral. I mean, you know, having making children of three four five appear at you know deportation hearings by themselves and people tweeting things along the lines that you know they they had to at one point they had to they had to kind of adjourn a hearing for this toddler because the toddler was climbing up the table i mean you know it's it's that is not normal and it's not right it's disgusting and shameful and everyone should be should be pointing pointing this out and so if you know we every act of resistance however small is you know if that's the best you can do then do it you know everyone should resist in any way they can so i think that it was entirely open to the person that owned their business and usually trump people and the farages of this war will be the very first to argue in favor of business and enterprise and that sort of thing you know it, it was her right to to refuse them entry and actually in the times that we live in and the disgusting news that was emerging that week, I do feel it was a moral duty ultimately because I don't think this is normal. I think that what is going on, this government and this president and this White House, this is, you know, the policies that they're adopting, the language that they are using about immigrants, this constant othering of people. It's it's not what an ordinary government does. It's not what an acceptable government does. And I think that at some point people have got to draw a line and I don't blame them for doing it. I admire them for doing it. This, like you, this whole business with Sarah Sanders and the Red Hen restaurant, it dismays me rather. But because, because here we go again with even greater divisions. Uh, the same thing's happening in the UK, where the referendum for Brexit has torn the country in half, and so it's happening in America, a place I love, mm. where division has never seemed so apparent. And just as many people will be congratulating the Red Hen's owner on her stance. Uh, at the same time, numbers of Trump supporters, they're already staging daily protests outside the Red Hen restaurant. And it just seems to me that each day, week, month, whatever, we're becoming more divided and apart as people. And that really does sadden me. It genuinely does sadden me. And it, of course, the thing is, though, I, I do see 
what you say, the owner of any restaurant can choose whether or not to open the door. But I don't, I can't see that it serves any great cause to deny someone food because of their political view. Sarah Sanders and her family, there was a party of eight, they need to eat just like the rest of us. And I just can't But, but they, see... can, they can go to eat anywhere else that they want. It's not like they're saying they can't eat. They just can't eat in that particular restaurant. I suppose. I, I, I do understand that. I didn't sort of mean it from this point of view that, um, you know, she, she was in the desert. Start, yeah. <laughs> no, no. But it just, see, it just does feel a little petty but, to make your point well, in that way. But I if mean, that's the only way to her. you can make your point, mm. and I, 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 I would usually agree, but I think mm. that what is happening is so appalling that everyone just has to do what they can, really. And, and actually, interestingly, in a way, it was a risk. It was a huge risk to take because mm. it could have done them in. But equally... You know, there are there are lots of people that 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 did congratulate them, like you say, and I and I think that is mm. that is you know I think that's very heartening. So so actually, usually I would say you know oh you know for God's sake what what are you doing? But actually, I think the severity of the times. You know, I'm glad that there are people mm. that are trying to express the fact that it is not okay to lock three year olds up, and it is and I think particularly Sarah Sanders' role in this. You know, she is the one that gets put out on TV to defend the indefensible and does with some gusto in most days, <laughs> is that if you're doing that, the other interesting point that someone has made, and I can't find the tweet now, but that mm. someone was tweeting on, on, on Twitter, in the same week as, you know, so it seemed like in a few days you had uh, Trump staffers complaining that they can't get a date on dating websites because the minute they say what they do, people just go, there's no way I'm going out with you if you can work for this administration because it is so, so, it is so far in the sewer now, it would seem. Um, you had the people that were thrown out the, that did, that got booed at the Mexican mm. restaurant, but and you had the Zerasana's incident, and then you've got that extraordinary incident where is it Melania or Melania? I Melania, never know how to pronounce yeah. it. Melania, mm. Melania Trump was seen as um, you know making this protest against her husband mm. by going to a detention centre to see to see the children there, and to, she made various statements saying you know I am not in favour of this, or, or would seem to say she wasn't mm. in favour of this, and then is photographed walking up the the sort of stairs to a plane wearing this bizarre coat <laughs> that's that's sort of this green parker that came from Zara, Zara or something well, Zara, like that. Yeah. And she usually wears oat kutcher mm. and wears, you know, very expensive designer clothes. And she wore this, and I did no offence to people that shop in Zara. I've shopped in Zara mm. before and probably would do again. But it's, it, it, by comparison, cheap, slightly ugly-looking green parker that had in what appeared was made to look like white paint painting mm. on the back, saying, I really don't care, do you? And you were spelt with a letter U, which is in itself mm. quite offensive. But that was all painted on her back. And it seems such an extraordinary statement to make. Mm. And there's been lots of rumours was over back whether or not she and she wore this on the way back from the detention center on the way to the detention center and there have been rumors that she might have been saying it you know might have been a slight against her husband by basically saying well i'm gonna i'm gonna you know go and speak out against you but it looked like it was taking the pee to be honest and someone said Trump people in a Mexican restaurant, you know, the wall between Mexico she gets on a plane with I don't care on the back of a coat are they doing this deliberately? Are they deliberately signalling? It's it's all very strange. But I, you know, I I can't. I just can't drum up any sympathy for Sarah Sanders when she is so heavily tied to a government that is doing such revolting things. It's not just stuff that I don't happen to agree with. It's not like you know. I mean, I think the climate change stuff is grim. 
and you know endangering our planet but there is still an argument that you might say well it's policy what they're doing isn't policy this is this is just wrong it's inhumane what they're doing you know to, to put a three-year-old in detention to take a child away from its parents to say oh we're going to change its nappy and then 20 minutes later you go where's my kid and they go oh, you probably won't see them again i mean that is that is that is just beyond the pale and for for sarah sanders you know to sort of be the mouthpiece the person that gets them goes no actually i think you'll find this is fine you know I, I can understand why they wouldn't want a server i wouldn't and and you know if that's how you're going to behave if you're going to behave with such little regard for decency and humanity and human life i'm sorry you can't eat your dinner love and you're just gonna have to deal with it <laughs> by the way melania's 30 dollar coat from zara i thought it was the sort of thing that even liam gallagher would turn away as being too Absolutely. gauche you know? and it was also it, it talk about you know it was a bit of a it was a bit of a sledgehammer message mm. wasn't it really mm. that still got misinterpreted bless her <laughs> absolutely oh look take up religion you'll live longer well, it's finally, it's something that I want to hear about on this podcast. That's next, right after Everything But The Girl.
the wonderfully sophisticated vocals of Tracy Thorne, only their second single back in May 1984. It reached number 28 on the UK Top 40. Everything but the girl and each and every one. I've got that that lovely seven. I've got the twelve inch single version of that, and it is so nice. It's it's. I remember one of my exes was really into them when she was at university, mm. and she said that when she first she's not really very up on pop, and she liked the kind of sixty singer songwriters, but she wasn't, you know, she didn't really like very much contemporary music of the day. And she said she heard that, and it was like the sun coming out. It was just it's it's so classy and so mm. jazzy, and and just does its own thing. And that's that's what I admire so much about them. They just did their own thing. And then they had that accidental success later in their career with the with the the missing mm. remix. And if you read Tracy Thorne's book, uh, Bedsit Disco Queen, mm. um, it's 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 brilliant because that was a complete accident. They 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 made a tune. I can't remember if it was them or if it was. Uh, and it, in fact, it wasn't them. Todd Terry just picked it up from somewhere randomly. They'd been dropped by this point mm. by Blanket. Uh, by Bianco Inegro, which is or Blanco Inegro, which mm. is um, the um, Warner kind of sub sort of vanity, yeah. yeah, the sort of vanity label that makes people look alternative when they're not really. And that was very much in vogue in the nineties. And they they said that they had sort of been dropped. And then Todd Terry, you know, this, the radio picked up Todd Terry's remix, and it started to just erupt in that way that that you know not so much nowadays but then hits were just accidentally hit sometimes you didn't necessarily have to plug them very much there were certain gaps and i think it still does happen now to some extent things just fall through the cracks just odd things pop up and people just really like them without any real promotion they just find a way of, of coming through and everything but the girl um eventually found out you know by accident mm. that this was a huge hit and the record company basically had to sort of go cap in hand to them and say well we're terribly sorry there seems to have been a, an administrative error here um would you like <laughs> to come back and make this into an album of course they then made walking wounded the album which was a huge success and sort of bought them another another few years mm. really and and you know I, I i just you know i love the story of everything but the girl i love how tracy thorne does what she wants to do how they both do what they want to do and how they have ended up being one of those very few bands that are just successful just because they were themselves really and, and the various different versions of themselves as well hmm. absolutely now jules i found a way for you to extend your life um well this I, is you know i i it, oh yeah my week's been a bit up and down so i'm not entirely convinced i'm going to take you up on this but go on well uh, a way to extend your life apart from taking on fewer projects but that's another thing um it is <laughs> that you need <laughs> it is that you need to find religion um a report right. a report this week in the independent suggests that practicing worshippers live an average four years longer than atheists or agnostics so if this report is to be believed i mean yeah what well, i'd like to know things about sample size but i mm, suspect mm. might not go into that level of detail well According to this, you can smoke a hundred fags a day, drink ten bottles of booze and sniff up a ton of cocaine, but you'll live longer if you believe in God. So, I mean, that is one hell of a get-out-of-jail-free card, isn't it? Well, it's amazing. On that basis, Jules, can I, can I interest you in the word of the Lord? Um, well, it's a kind of you to offer, really. Mm. This is this is such a peculiar story. I, mm. I, I almost can't compute this. It is so strange. Um... 
I I don't know. I I I always joke that I experimented with various things in my youth, two of which were heterosexuality and religious youth groups, <laughs> and actually neither of them really <laughs> stuck. And actually, one sort of begat the other, really, in terms of not sticking. So 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 yeah. I, I yeah. I it, I I just I liked the social aspect of religious hmm. groups, and I kind of sat through the god bit at the end usually. And then as we got older, and I joined a sort of a a different religious group, there was a lot more evangelists singing along to evangelist tunes and oh, i just thought mm, this isn't this isn't they're lovely people but this isn't really for me um <laughs> i don't know and to be honest i i because the religion has never really felt particularly relevant to me and certainly doesn't now and i don't i hate i think i said before and i said gonna hate the attitude of some people towards of some atheists towards christians they're so rude mm. and i hate that i think it's appalling but i and i would never disrespect people that believe in god but i i just I just can't even bring myself. It feels so irrelevant to me that I can't even bring myself to think, oh, good, I can live for four years longer. Because to be honest, given what we have to talk about on this podcast every week about what's going on in the world, given that we've just had to talk about the leader of the free world locking up three-year-old kids and making them sit in court hearings by themselves whilst they climb up tables and they had to what was it someone had to draw something the other day a five-year-old had to draw a description of the people that were with her and she ended up just wanting to draw kites instead (laughs) i mean that is hilarious and dreadful at the same time do i want to live longer i'm not sure i do at the moment that sounds depressing i know but i just i don't know i i i do admire people that are religious i admire them having literally the courage of their convictions and i do have friends and i have a particular friend that's religious who has suffered from various illnesses and and actually has found real strength through going to her church and has a real community of people that go to her church and that's a big part of it become a big part of her life and is really important to her and has helped her tremendously actually and i've met quite a lot of people at her church and they are lovely so so you know i'm up for other people doing it but I don't know, maybe maybe it's just the sign of the jaded times that I just don't want to live any longer than I absolutely have to in the moment. But it's just yeah. I just you know, I I, I just I, I I you know, wouldn't it be nice if there was a brilliant cure at the moment? Wouldn't it be nice if there was someone that had all the answers? That would be terrific, frankly, given the mess that that, that Western world politics is in. But I just can't bring myself to, to believe it really. I think the key to this whole live for four years longer thing is that religious people are probably less likely to indulge in the misuse of well, yeah. Yes, drugs or they. alcohol and so religion may be a side issue here it's uh, more about lifestyle <laughs> which we all kind of knew but speaking of religion i found out something this week and i'd never heard of this before at all and um i found this absolutely fascinating i hope uh, you know some some hmm. of the listeners find this interesting too I'm, ve- I'm very lucky living just along the road from the surrey hills as we know and i, I visit there a lot uh, going for lots of walks and one of my favorite places is a little village called sheer s-h-e-r-e yeah and i walk around there often and there's a church and i've walked through the the church grounds a thousand times but this week i noticed a little anomaly um in one of the side walls it's very small and it was like a little arch that had been filled in centuries ago mm. and there's a tiny plaque um on this arch that says and I quote, this is what the, the plaque says, site of the cell of Christine Carpenter, anchoress of Shear, 1329. Well, hmm. I'd never heard of an anchoress or an anchorite, which is the male version. And it turns out that in the 12th to 16th centuries, for religious reasons, reasons usually young people would withdraw from the world, <coughs> excuse me, but then get themselves 
built in to church walls and by that i mean they couldn't get out they they, they actually um there was a tiny letterbox slot kind of thing pointing inwards Mm -hmm. to the church where uh, they could watch services and see the altar and then (coughs) excuse me again equally in this little archway an equally small slot pointing into the churchyard where they could receive food and water from local people and pass out their bucket with um, waste uh, material in it. Um, And otherwise, they spent their whole lives cooped up in this little little, tiny cell contemplating. Um, But Christine Carpenter-Ashear is is an interesting case because she became well-known. Because she was so young and small, she was found to have sneaked out through that tiny little letter <laughs> and local people it's brilliant he was seen at night sort of walking around sheer and so um the local people had to write to the pope um so that poor christine she could be forgiven and then she was returned to her cell which uh, uh, contemporary reports suggest she spent her the rest of her life and in it and these cells are about three feet a meter by a meter maybe you know they're, they're absolutely I can't, I can't believe this this is crazy isn't it so if you ever you think you don't get out much at least you're 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 seeing more of the world than you know christine carpenter did in the 1300s the anchoress of sheer how bizarre that is such an odd story and i think if you if you sort of go back through the past there are real hidden his literally in this case mm. hidden histories mm. to be having lots of small towns and and i i work in a town called bexhill on sea um it's known it's a nice little town it's got the nice dead war pavilion which we often talk mm. about in my geek reviews um it's by the sea it's it's uh you know a sort of a, it was the place to be that the, the dead war pavilion is is uh but as it's like they're selling their Twitter feed, uh, but but uh, built in 1935, modern ever since, and uh, and it's very much a sort of modernist place. Having said that, though, because it is of that that sort of era, it has a uh, you know various you know sort of uh, nicknames locally as being God's waiting room, and you know it has a very elderly populace, <laughs> and is in many many ways a very old fashioned little town. It's why it's quite a nice place to be, really. It doesn't have the marks and spencers on a, an out of town sort of development it doesn't you know it doesn't have any particular there's no debenhams it doesn't have any particular big high street stores mm. there most of the shops are there is a couple of co-op supermarkets but it's mostly in there's a wh smiths i think but it's mostly independent a subway but it's mostly independent mm. little shops by and large and it's, it's all the nicer for it in my view but so so you'd think it was a fairly staid and sort of ordinary kind of place to live really and i there was an exhibition on the dead of war recently um that was um around it was course like i blew on mr greenhill's joints with a very hot breath and i thought who the hell has made that title up god honestly some of the stuff that goes on uh, you know ranty ranty ran and actually it was a very interesting exhibition with lots of different themes and it was based particularly around this memoir that was written by a guy called arthur spray or a book that was written about this guy called arthur spray so arthur spray was a cobbler in bexhill on sea from he was born in 1819 he died in 1961 and he um there was his book was called the mysterious cobbler being the story of arthur spray of bexhill who has natural magnetic powers told by himself and it was published in 1935 and he by francis mott and arthur spray 
had this strange, just had this strange habit of doing things like blowing on people's joints with hot breath, and it would it would sort them out. And and he said, you know, he he had held no, he didn't claim to be a healer. He didn't claim to be a spiritualist mm-hmm. healer at all. His view was basically he was an accidental alternative therapist, and mm-hmm. years before there was a name and that was even a career path. And his and he was, you know, he mended shoes for a living, and just happened to be able to occasionally fix people by breathing on them and his view was well i don't i don't understand it but what works works really and and that's just it and but behind arthur there was this whole community of spiritualist healers in betsilon sea there were boarding houses full of them there was christian scientists that lived everywhere and when i went to listen to this this lecture at betsy museum about given by a guy called julian who's terrific Mm. about who's the curator there about arthur it, it turned out that, that Betzel has this whole hidden history of weird, weird religion like Christian science, stuff that isn't quite normal religion and, spirit, and spiritualism and all kinds of things. And I don't know if it still goes on or not. It doesn't seem very likely, but it just is so strange. It's, and you know, all of these odd little seaside towns or odd towns in the middle of the middle of nowhere all have these odd histories. And isn't it funny how so many of them seem to centre around the weirdness of religion? Mm. For a moment there, when you were talking about Arthur, you talked about him breathing on joints. I kind of misunderstood uh, the context. Oh, yes. No, no, no. Not, not you know. Not, he, a, a lovely quote from him. I'm not a spiritualist, nor am I a yoga. I'm just a shoemaker. That's an amazing story. It's, it's, it's extraordinary. The, uh, you know, we're talking about religion and we're saying, you know, about this living four years longer. That's almost irrelevant to all of this because it's just there's so many oddities and quirks to uh, the way religion is interpreted and used, both like uh, Christine Carpenter, the anchoress in Sheer, and this Arthur Spray. It's just it's just a bewildering um, spread uh, around history of how religion works for in different communities and different lives and um, that seems you know to us now positively bizarre uh, the, the way that people behaved in the name of religion Yes, it is really strange. And one aspect of the modern kind of alternative medicine um, and homeopathy, which, you know, there's this constant debate over whether or not it actually works or if it's real or or, or what power it has. Mm. But none of it seems... Well, I don't think any of it really seems to be centred around religion. Mm. Although maybe there is... Well, although maybe there is an element of you have to believe. And maybe we can link this to all the Instagrammers as well and the Mm. kind of, you know, the, the well-being people. And, you know, way i think this is why lots of people and i think ruby tando has written brilliantly around this mm. have this problem with the cult of wellness and the idea that you know that particularly these dangerous people that are talking about being able to cure cancer by eating mm. more avocados or whatever it is that they're saying I, I i think that there is this kind of almost dangerous tip towards religion in some of those cases that it is it is a belief system. You know, you have to want to believe for it to work, really. So maybe, maybe if you look at it like that, then religion and, and sort of spiritual healing are perhaps are more natural bedfellows than one might think. Yes. Now, Jules, assuming you're not going to wall yourself up and become the anchoress of Hastings uh, this week. Well, there have uh, been moments where it's been tempting, <laughs> but I don't think I will, frankly. Oh, well, in that case, where might, where, where might we find you this week? 
Well, you can find me on the radio on oh, Wednesday good. night. It's barricaderadio.com doing Indie Wonderland, uh, 8 till 10 p.m., Indie Alt Rock and Miscellaneous. You can also, if you're tending towards jazz, which I suspect you're probably not, but mm. if you are, on Thursday the 5th of July, um, there's a night that goes on downstairs at the White Rock Hotel in Hastings, lovely little basement bar, occasional canapes, all very pleasant. Um, there's a, a, a night called Birth of the Corn, and Birth is spelled B-E-R-T-H. No. So it's a nice pun on the Miles Davis LP and they have jazz DJs and they have the resident DJs and occasional guests and I am an occasional Ooh. guest so I understand that I will be doing my first ever all jazz vinyl set from about 8 until quarter to 9 so very much looking forward to that it's also Independence Day um, Independence Shops Day on the 7th Saturday the 7th of July so I will be ambling about the America ground in Hastings hanging out with my friends at Wow and Flutter and uh, in Trinity Whole Foods and going to borrow wines and maybe going to uh, to Bullet Cafe, so I would encourage everyone to either come down to Hastings or to support your local independent shops wherever you are. My goody, aren't you? Have a busy week ahead of you there. Isn't it? Yeah, I'm tired just talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> thanks to you for listening. Yes, big thanks. And thanks to executive producers uh, Rona and Hilly. And, um, well, here we are, Jules, a band with many hits over the years, but this one, most of, one of the most poignant and heartbreaking of all. Well, I was. I have a. I, I have often have a bit of a ru- long-running debate with my friend as the best types of any particular song, and. I we always one of my favourite subgenres of music. I think it was Doreen Linsky that, that coined this on Twitter. Mm. Is 1970s divorce pop. Mm. So so principally Fleetwood Mac and ABBA, and that led me on to thinking about what the best breakup songs are. And I'm a big fan of X Factor by Lauren Hill from the modern era. And I think we've played it on this podcast mm. before, and I think that is just devastating the lyrics. But I keep coming back to this by ABBA. I mean, I I wonder if this is my favourite ABBA song. There are many ABBA songs that I. Really really love but i i just think that this is everything about this is so classy because it is a breakup song or it seems to be a breakup song and it is so restrained i know that the winner takes it all doesn't sound like a restrained phrase and it seems you know appropriate in this level of world cup having sat through two penalty shootouts today it does feel <laughs> oddly timely given that i uh, that i chose this a few days ago but um yeah there's there's just something about it that is so restrained yet so devastating at the same time the lyrics are the lyrics are just you know really kind of poetic and yet you know really bare at the same time and uh, it just like all of Abba's songs they're just beautifully written the melody as well the way that it seems to wind itself around the lyrics and it, it just makes perfect sense albeit in a really sad way here so so I feel weirdly this reflects the political times as well as the as well as the sports times you either win or you lost get over it so so i think i think this this feels appropriate so this is abba and this is the winner takes it all i don't want to talk about things we've gone through though it's hurting me now it's history I've played all my cards And that's what you've done too Nothing more to say No more ace to play The winner takes it all The loser standing small Beside the victory Thinking I 
You have been listening to a DAC Media production 